Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither drinking nor eating, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks very much for reading that. Those were not the voices I meant to have that little tiny voice read. (laughs) Glutton and drunkard and the like. Ugh. What I, what I hoped would be uh, read, and I'm going to read those to us now, are these last three verses. And we are, we're familiar with these. Listen, listen to this. And I don't know about you, but man, I needed this like I needed a, a, a drink of water this week. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Anybody else? Anybody else need that? It'd be really cool if I knew what a yoke was. It would be so good. (laughs) Would love that. Hey, welcome to Luke and Melissa Heim. Welcome, guys. And I believe it is Reuben and Naomi who are here as well. The Himes are here as our, as our guests. They are another pastor who's come in from Cherokee, Oklahoma, America, where he is the pastor at Cherokee Christian Church there, I believe. And he is here this week. And here's what I hope that, that they get while they are here with us this weekend. I hope they get the sense that it, it's, the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. That's what we hope. But what is a yoke? Is it like an egg yoke? It is not like an egg yolk. In fact, I guess we, there are a couple of different places where we hear this terminology of yolk. You have heard the language of uh, the admonition scripture to not be unequally yoked, right? So there is, there is something that has to do with matrimony there. Connection, attachment. There's also some uh, mention of this language of yokes in, from the agricultural world, and oxen are typically attached to a yoke. And in so doing, they are able then to be guided by whoever's driving the plow or the cart or what have you. They're, they're able to be, to be used and best utilized, and if, a, and if the farmer knows what he or she is doing, it's better for the oxen who is then attached to the yoke. So which is it? Is it the matrimonial yoke? Is it the agricultural yoke? Is it something else? I I think it's all of it. There's another way to understand it, too. It is the way in which uh, a mentor would understand his connection or her connection to a mentee. 
to an apprentice. Like a, a disciple maker might offer a potential disciple a yoke, a means of attachment, a, a means of attachment that would then allow you to come with me, for you to go with the mentor. I guess given that we are in a super summer and the theme that we are using all summer is sort of a superhero theme, uh, which Lisa kicked us off with, with, the, with VBS, maybe the best way to talk about all of this is, obviously, you knew this coming in, probably talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, do we realize how old this storyline is? <laughs> My goodness, though, though there has been, within the last 12 months, another, believe it or not, live-action thriller out there that was released. Uh, this is 1984 when this uh, story was. Let me, let me ask it this way. How many of you who are under 20, how many of you could name, I'm not going to ask you to do it, could name each of the four Mutant Ninja Turtles? Okay, okay, we have some who could, yeah, right, yeah. I'm tempted, I'm so tempted, I won't do it though, right? How many of you who are over 20 could name all four of the teenage mutants? Look at the hands. <laughs> if you are familiar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and if you are not, God bless you. Uh, we've got such a great gospel story to unearth for you today within the, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you do know anything about this story, you know that they have sort of a, uh, what would you call it? They, they have sort of a, a disciple maker, I guess. Somebody who is an advisor. Uh, someone, a mentor, let's say. Can anybody tell me, just write out loud, the name of said mentor? Master Splinter. I heard it several times. Now, as you probably already know, this is a mutant rat <laughs> who then literally adopts names, and then trains uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, this is a very wise character. If you don't believe it, I have actually gathered a few of his greatest nuggets of wisdom. Would you like to hear them? Okay, well then hear them from the words himself. Do you know what I do when I miss my loved ones from the past? No. I focus on the friends I am surrounded by in the present. Giving guidance to your brothers and friends does not come from here. It comes from here. Everything is impermanent, Leonardo. You cannot expect anything to last forever. Even family. But Master Splinter, my leg injury, it, it's physical. Until I heal. We choose what holds us back and what moves us forward. We are safe here. And we are finally together again, my daughter. That is all that matters, not revenge. Mm. Now, somebody in the room, perhaps somebody watching online, perhaps somebody who will watch this week, is already writing a letter to the editor. <laughs> I think the pastor at OKC First just likened Jesus to a mutant rat named Master Splinter. Are you, in fact, doing that, John? <laughs> yes, a little bit, a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. It, it does seem that Jesus is taking the role of a master, of a mentor, who says to us, there is work to do, there is work to do. Y'all, it's not that there's not work to do. It's that there is very important work to do, but this work can be done alongside and in service of someone 
who can make sure that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Doesn't mean it's not <laughs> hard work, and it doesn't mean that you aren't doing important work. It means that it is meaningful work along someone who knows the lay of the land. Someone who gets it. <laughs> and, and the best way to actually get it, and, and by that I mean, I'm going to say this a lot throughout this entire year as we have this year-long pursuit of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? How, why should we care? Um, what does it mean to follow this Jesus? As we are asking all those questions, the question will come up over and over and over again. Yeah, but do we get it? But, but do we understand what we need to know, what we need to understand about this Jesus character? Can Jesus have the impact on your life that Jesus seeks to have if you don't get it? And it's a fair question because the answer might be, no, I'm not sure if you can. I'm not sure if Jesus can have the impact on your life if you don't understand the ramifications of the one who asks for your entire life. Now, to be honest, the text that we will be, the text that we'll be working with today and the one prior in chapter 11 and the one after in chapter 12 demonstrate that lots of people don't get it. In fact, if you don't get it today, if you don't completely get it, you're in pretty good company because it seems that none other than John the Baptist struggled to really understand who it was that he was announcing and heralding. Take a look. So John is in prison. He's been arrested. He has run afoul of Herod. He's been arrested. And he probably sees the handwriting on the wall. He's probably not going to survive prison. And he has been announcing that there is someone now on the scene who is the, the long-awaited Messiah, who's going to change everything for all of us, including John, but now John sits in prison and it doesn't look great, and so now he's wondering right out loud, I, are, really you? Because it doesn't seem like at this point it's going well. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are we sure it's you? Are you the one who is to come or should we just keep singing and praying and waiting for another? Because, again, Jesus, this is not working out. And Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. Then he says, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Blessed is anyone who's not offended by what Jesus says or who Jesus is, because sometimes people are still. Read this this week from a guy named Lance Pape. They could scarcely be more different, these two, John, the bug-eating wilderness prophet, and Jesus, who is known to love a good meal with all kinds of company. John, who wears scratchy shirts on purpose, and Jesus, who can occasionally be persuaded to invoke the power of Yahweh to keep the wine flowing at the wedding reception. John, who addresses his hearers as a brood of vipers. And Jesus, who in Matthew opens his signature sermon with congratulations or the Beatitudes. They turn out to be so different that John's once booming voice in the wilderness is reduced to tentative questioning from the darkness of a prison cell. I mean, so John... Even though John himself announced his coming, and even though the voice from the heavens announced his arrival, 
even though that there were miracles and signs and wonders, all of that should have been all the evidence in the world. And still, people didn't and don't get it. Why is that, I wonder? Why do people, why do I, when I don't get it, why do I not get it? Why do you not get it? Is it possible that we humans, in our chronic humanness, sometimes choose blindness? Is it too much trouble to take seriously the words of John, much less the words of Jesus? It would, it would just upset all of our apple carts, and we kind of like our apple carts where they are. And Jesus has no interest in where you've put your apple cart, come to find out. So really, people don't get it. They don't seem to get John. They certainly don't seem to get Jesus. And Jesus seems to, in verse 16, as we've already heard read today, seems to kind of reach a level of frustration. And it sounds like this, to what will I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We wailed and you didn't mourn. For John came neither, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They didn't like what John had to say. <laughs> Lighten up, John. We're doing just fine. Stop yelling at us. Stop calling us names. Lighten up, John. Life's too short. But then they didn't like what Jesus said either. They said, come on, Jesus. It seems like you party too much. It seems like you include too often. And this hospitality seems dangerous. And it looks like we're going to have to do something about this, about you. The language used here, drunkard and a glutton, probably drawn, Dr. Green, from the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, <laughs> when a son, your son, looks to be the town drunkard and the glutton, and according to the ancient law, I don't think we do this anymore, as far as I can tell, but according to the ancient law, you're supposed to subject your drunkard, gluttonous son to execution by stones. Maybe that's what they're saying here. You're, you're kind of way outside the lines here, Jesus. All of your inclusiveness, all of your, your parties that seem to really turn a blind eye to the hard work of, doing, of not doing bad things. Now, I know we kind of got tired of John the Baptist too, but still, Jesus, you seem like you're even more dangerous. We're not, we're not sure that we can understand or know what to do with you. And so Jesus, I think still frustrated, looks to the heavens and says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, for such was your gracious will. Now, this is super interesting to me because infants don't read very well, right? I mean, seriously, God has revealed something to infants? What? What do infants know? What can infants know? Yet there is something that the infants know that the wise and learned and well-educated scribes and Pharisees did not or would not 
know or accept. John, can you explain this? How, how is it that infants know something that the scholars of the time didn't? Well, let, let me testify a bit. And I know this is painful, and, and I, for some folks who are agonizing in their journey toward having children or the struggles to have children, so can I just testify to our experience? When we brought Taylor home, and later when we brought Drew home, man, I learned a lot about how God cared for me. I hope that makes some sense. You see, I don't know if you know this about infants, but uh, they don't add a whole lot to your household at first. In terms of earning potential, let's say. <laughs> In fact, when you first bring an infant home, here's what they are, costly. Now, that goes away after about 25 years. No, it doesn't, okay. <laughs> My parents are looking at the 56-year-old saying, no, it doesn't really go away at all. But especially there toward the beginning, they are not productive citizens, not in ways that the culture actually appreciates. They don't earn their keep. <laughs> Infants don't earn their keep. And I, from the moment we brought them home, would take a bullet for them. Nope, neither Taylor nor Drew earned Kelly's love nor my love but we had great love for them. You know why? Because they were ours and we loved them. And here's the thing that you start to notice about infants. You start to notice that they start to notice you. Right? Now, now, now stick with me here. Imagine for a second that you're an infant in a crib, right? For me, it would be a giant crib, Right? And imagine that you're the infant in the crib, and you, you really don't really know what life is, what, what this new experience is. There are just sounds and, and noises, and then there are visions, and then there are these giant faces that come peering over the edge of the crib. And over a period of time, you start to recognize the faces that are peering over the edge of the crib. And over time, an infant starts to trust the face that's peering over the edge of the crib. Over a period of time, that infant's instincts are formed such that he or she can differentiate between faces. And sometimes, though there is great <laughs> struggle and distress in the life of the infant, if the right face is peering over the edge of the crib, that infant knows that care is on the way. You get it? You have revealed to infants, you have revealed to infants what really matters. And what really matters is that your heavenly parent cares for you. When you see that face coming over the edge of this crib that we will call life, what you can know if you will listen and learn, and it's something that the, the, the scribes and Pharisees that they had studied all their lives hadn't quite been able to grasp because rather than rooting their faith in the face that peers over the edge of the crib, they were rooting their faith in doing all the right things so that God wouldn't be mad at you. That's, those are two different things. When the face of God comes shining over the edge of the crib, the infant, the infant 
right? Everybody have seen this before? When the infant somehow instinctively knows, oh, that's the face that loves me. Oh, that's the face that loves me. When we say to you, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, I'm talking about the face that peers over the edge of your crib and that looks at you in the, and we say it every week in the hopes that someday it would become instinct for you to be able to differentiate between the different faces out there, to know that when the face of God looks at you, takes in your situation, that you would know beyond any shadow of doubt, this God cares for me. That's what Jesus means here. You have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, people, relationship with Christ, the revelation of Christ, comes to us as a gift from God, one that we receive, see if this sounds familiar, one that we receive with open hands because it's a gift. And remember, now, I have several former professors in the room, (laughs) some of whom I, I think I still owe some homework to, but still. This doesn't mean that we don't study. In fact, I would say, maybe this is why we study. I mean, this this insight right here, that we can actually have a life of faith that is rooted in the face that loves and accepts and treasures us. It takes a lot of study to hone in on that face and to kind of beat back the other voices that would otherwise confuse and conflict and all of that kind of stuff. That's the reason we study, right? That's the reason that we study, and it will take a lifetime for me, it will take a lifetime of study to be able to beat back the other voices that tell me I'm only as good as I am productive. And so we read and we study and we read and we study, but we read and we study so that we can focus on the face. This is a life of faith that is meant to liberate, but there are other ways of doing faith that would not liberate you. They would hold you in captivity. Jesus takes dead aim at them in Matthew chapter 23. Listen to this from chapter 23. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Moses' seat, the seat of interpretation, the seat of theological authority. They sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but don't do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. All of these laws and rules, hundreds and hundreds of laws, and they leave you with this impression, if you don't do every one, if you leave one out, then that's where God gets you, on the one that you leave out. Because that's what God is, right? The ultimate traffic cop. Man, I I hate that analogy a lot. God is a traffic cop. Tickets. Remember. And they say, hard to bear, and they lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Some were, some are yoked to the law and the laws. Everybody hear that? Some were, and some still are, yoked to the law and the laws. Yeah, but John, these are very important laws. 
Very important laws. Yeah, but you're not supposed to be yoked to even the important ones. You're yoked to Jesus who helps you navigate the rest of life, including the laws. Friends, oh man, I think I mean what I'm about to say. Would you like hearing your pastor say that? <laughs> if your hope for this life or the next one is rooted in your capacity to keep all the laws, friends, you are hopeless. Well, that didn't sound very nice. Jesus didn't consider being yoked to the law to be the kind of faith that he thought would sustain life. Now, it might be bad religion, but it is not faith. It's not the relationship that God dreams for any one of us. Please remember that faith comes to us as a gift, one that we receive with open hands, to which we must respond because it is up to each one of us to say yes to the invitation, because it is grace, friends, but we are careful to say around here, it is a responsible grace. It's not a get out of jail free, do whatever you want kind of card. It is a responsible grace. God says to you, man, see my face? I love you, come with me. In fact, here's what it sounds like. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what are those guys doing there? Well, I have had my fill of services where we say goodbye to people, and so today we're having a service where we say hello to people. <laughs> Says Matt and Rudy. Can I tell you about Matt and Rudy? Matt, who is going to be our, our chief of operations and narrative impact. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and Rudy Rocket, that's his real name. <laughs> College and community pastors. Here's Here's what I value and treasure about these guys. These are folks who will put skin and flesh on this statement. Ready? God's mind about you is made up of the news is good. You know why? Because they just ooze the kind of love and compassion and grace and kindness that leaves you thinking correctly that you are absolutely valuable. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with either one of these guys, but you'll walk away going, oh, I have been seen and heard. <laughs> I matter. Yes, each has huge, huge shoes to fill. Absolutely. And, and each is aware that he has big shoes to fill. And I just love the way they're going to fill them. Leading with the kind of kindness that becomes for each of them, ready for this? Super summer, ready? Kindness becomes their superpower. Because it's in that kindness, Matt, 
It's in that kindness, Rudy. That we get this tangible expression that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Have you ever been in the presence of people who make you feel less than valuable? Let me ask a better question. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who makes you feel important, valued, treasured? Yeah, those people. We, we, should, we should thank God for those people because those people are not just giving us relational cues. In this situation, those people are giving us details that we need about God. About God. So, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, oh, I'm dead on my time, Jason. I'm dead on it. Somebody write this down. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take communion together, and then after that, we're going to have, a, I don't feel like I'm old enough to say season of prayer, but we're going to have a season of prayer. And in that season of prayer, I'm going to kick us off with uh, words of confession, and uh, I don't think we have kids' prayers loaded. Do we have them loaded? You're going to read them. Okay, then Lisa has a few kids' prayers for us. And then you're going to hand it back uh, to me if you would. And there's a couple of people that we need to, unless, are we handing it to you? Okay, to me, because we have a couple of people who are watching at home that we want to pray for as they recover. And then, hopefully, the Heim family will be right back here. And then Dad's going to pray that recommissioning prayer for you all, right? And I'd like for Rudy and Matt and family to be right about here. And then I'm going to... I'm going to pray for them as they are commissioned to, again, put skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality of God, skin and flesh on the love of God, the grace of God, as they serve among us. And at that point, I, I hope there aren't very many people out there because I hope that all of you see somebody up here that you could come and pray for. There, there's, there's something really valuable about someone knowing that you have come to pray for him or her. You don't have to be eloquent but the touch of your hand means a lot. But before all of that, we're going to return to the origin story, our origin story that actually starts in the heart of God so that we can be reminded of this eternal truth that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. And if you wondered, well, when are we going to be reminded? Man, we're best reminded right now. So if you're coming to help us set the table, please do. And Heavenly Father, please bless these elements. Bread and cup seem so simple. But in your hands, God, bread and cup become something much more significant. They become for us the tangible reminders of your presence in the room with us. They become tangible reminders of the story that shapes us day in and day out if given opportunity, that life with you, that relationship with you, that love with you starts with you, that you have loved us in costly search of ways, and we are left to simply receive it and say yes. 
And so, God, as we receive these elements, may we say a deep yes all over again. Even if we've said it thousands of times before, God, today, may each of us and all of us who would receive today, may each of us find it within ourselves to say yes again to this extension of your love and grace. Bless these elements, God, and draw us closer to you and to one another in the process. So in a second, church, I will ask you, as you can, to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left, your left, and come forward to receive these gifts. Now, as you come, please come with open hands because that's how it works. That's how grace works. You can't buy this stuff. You can't swipe it. You can't charge it. It comes to you as a gift. So as you come to a person holding bread, into your open hands, a piece of bread will be placed and the person handing you the bread will say this to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And there it is, the tangible expression of costly love. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. And when you do, the person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And there it is again, another tangible expression of the costly love of God that comes to you each and every week and every moment, actually. The face that peers over the crib. And then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Now you may want to make a special trip by this bowl right here. It, it, this bowl is meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism. I come every week because I need it. I need to be reminded of the moment of my ultimate inclusion into the people of God. The people with the purpose, a particular purpose, to tell the story of the God whose face is always peering over the edge of the crib. But then I hope you'll find a place to pray. Now you can circle right back around and pray at your seat. I am told that God can hear all of those prayers as well. Now you may want to come to one of these side padded altars. If you do, we have an elder on each end of the sanctuary who's going to come up and pray a prayer for healing for you. Now it doesn't matter what it is you're coming up to bring to this altar. It could be a, a physical ailment. It could be mental, emotional, spiritual, familial, relational we will pray that prayer for healing for you. You'll be anointed with oil. It's not necessarily magic, right? But it is reminiscent of the sticky, tangible presence of God by the Spirit in your life. Now, if you come to one of these, these benches, these kneeling benches up front, we're not going to assume anything except that you're just chronically normal and need to pray. And at some point in there, somebody, probably me, will come by and touch you on the head, the neck, the shoulder, to let you know that you're not now and never have been alone. Now, all are invited, but none are compelled. You don't have to come. John, I don't even know if I qualify. You probably do, because here's what it takes. If you know you need this grace, you're welcome around this table. John, you don't know what I did this morning. Then you probably need a lot of grace. If you know you need this grace, regardless of what you have dragged in here with you today, you are welcome at this table and will be each and every week. Make sense? It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. And he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave us to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. This is how much I love and every time you eat of this bread, every time, remember me.
The same way he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. New covenant. And every time you receive it, remember me. Remember, it's my face <laughs> that makes life possible. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. We have an overflow section as well, and we can come to you if you need it. Exit your pew to the left and come forward with open hands to receive the gifts of God meant to nourish and encourage and resource the people of God.